0: everybody, I'm Gary Ebersole. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. How sharp is your memory? Do you sometimes forget things? Is your mind as sharp as it used to be? Do you have trouble remembering people's names right after you've met them? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you are not alone. Many of us in our golden years don't remember things as well as they used to. On today's episode of Camp Codger, we'll be talking with Dr. Linda Sasser, author of Brain Sense, a guide and workbook to keep your mind and memory sharp. But first, Richard tells us we've heard from our listeners. What did they have to say, Richard?
1: Thank you, Gary. Well, they had some great things to say. This first one is from the Things I Love About Getting Old episode, Kathy Sent us this in response to our YouTube version. Hey, you old codgers. I'm a sassy senior codgerette. I used to leave for work before the birds were awake. Now I enjoy breakfast with the birds out on my patio. Sometimes no teeth or bra. (laughs) 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 Knowing the birds aren't judging me. Just happy to have my health to wobble out there and enjoy the sunrise. You know... As you get older, three things happen. The first is your memory goes, and I can't remember the other two. (laughs) Great, (laughs) great comment, Kathy. Thank you. The second one is uh, a comment about our much-watched and listened to Jimmy Buffett tribute, and it's from Judy. And she says, do you folks know one of our Santa Fe local bands, the Bandit Geckos, open for jimmy buffett in 1973 even before randy wrote about him that was in 1975 they write that he was a delightful cocky musician who introduced his band all of his instruments no humans and seemed to know he was on his way the nicest guy
0: thanks richard those were fun letters keep those letters coming in folks we love to hear from you
2: Thanks, guys. Our guest expert today on Camp Codger is Dr. Linda Sasser, a nationally known speaker on topics such as brain wellness, maximizing memory and productivity, and optimizing sleep for better brain health. She's also the author of Brain Sense, a guide and workbook to keep your mind and memory sharp. Linda, welcome to Camp Codger.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm excited. be
2: here. Well, I don't remember why you're here, but... um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Randy, did you have to lead with that? Of course I did.
2: Of course I did. Of
0: course you did. Well,
2: Dr. Linda, (laughs) let's just jump right into your topic, which is of interest to a lot of folks out there in podcast land. Let's start with a big question. Is it normal to have memory problems as we get older
3: Actually, it is normal to occasionally have some memory problems, just forgetting names, misplacing things, you know, where did I put that, sometimes needing to pause and remember directions. But what we like to say is if you forget where your keys are, that's normal. If you forget what they're for, that is a red (laughs) flag. And so if the memory lapses start interfering with accomplishing daily tasks, paying bills, brushing teeth, getting dressed, getting lost, coming home from the grocery store, then it's a cause for concern. Uh, Many of our thinking abilities actually peak at age 30, which is kind of discouraging, um, and they subtly decline with age. So as we get older, we're going to experience things like slowness in our thinking, difficulty sustaining attention, multitasking, which actually is something we shouldn't do anyway, and word finding, you know, tip of the tongue when you know you know a word or a name and it's just not there. So some of these changes actually are due to decreases in brain volume, especially in the hippocampus, which is a memory center, and then in the frontal and temporal lobes. However, the good news is that vocabulary, reading, and verbal reasoning remain unchanged or even improve as we age.
2: Well, that's a good combination of good news and bad news there. I feel better. I feel a little better right now.
0: (laughs) Well, the little lapses don't seem so serious. Sometimes you can take a little lapse and blow it up into, oh, my goodness, it's the end of the line. And that's, that's, I think, that's one of the challenges. Are Are there signs that we should be looking for in terms of really coming up with serious memory issues?
3: I was a professor and then I started my business, Brain and Memory Health, because I wanted to educate what we call the worried will about all these things. Because with the prevalence of Alzheimer's and dementia, and especially many people being personally affected by it, by parents and so forth, it's exactly what you said, Gary. You, you forget something or things start happening and you think, oh no, is it happening to me? And I like to help people understand You know, what changes are normal that we're all going to experience? And then what are indicators that something could be amiss and you want to go see the doctor? So a lot of people ask me a question, they say, what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? Well, dementia is actually the umbrella term. Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia. There are other types of dementia like vascular, frontotemporal, Lewy body and so forth, some Parkinson's and things like that. But one of the biggest misconceptions is that all memory loss you know, implies Alzheimer's and it doesn't. Um, another thing I like to share with mm-hmm. people is that there are other factors that can affect memory that have nothing to do with Alzheimer's. And these are correctable. You know, usually they're, we call them reversible or at least hopefully reversible causes of memory difficulty. Some of them could be depression, anxiety, stress, Sometimes medications can interfere with memory. Sleep apnea has been known to do that. Dehydration. I could go on and on, but, you know, it's all, I always tell people, if you're starting to have some memory issues, please see a doctor. Find out the root cause of what's going on. The sooner you identify what's going on, the sooner you can start doing something to hopefully, you know, keep things from getting worse.
1: You talked about Alzheimer's, the misconception about Alzheimer's. Are there other major misconceptions that we all have about memory and memory loss?
3: Well, I think that was the main one. The fact that just because you're having memory problems does not mean you have Alzheimer's. So indicators that maybe you want to go see a doctor is if, as I said earlier, you're getting lost going home from the grocery store, or places that are familiar. Sometimes people put things in inappropriate places. You put your wallet in the freezer. Repetitive questioning, although a lot of us older adults tend to say the same thing or ask the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and then forgetting recent events. One of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's is the failure of short-term memory. In other words, you can remember things from you know your childhood, but it's remembering who you had lunch with yesterday or where you went this morning, and then now it's gone. One of the things is you have difficulty storing new information. You know, things happen, you learn something, you hear something, and you just don't get it into your memory. You can still remember, again, things from the past, but not the the current things. And also another thing, executive function tends to suffer when there's a cognitive impairment. And that has to do with planning and organizing, you know, thinking about your day, doing things in a good order, in a practical way, and then another indicator would be challenges or changes to comprehension, being able to carry on a conversation, a coherent conversation.
2: Well, Dr. Linda, can you explain how memory works? I don't even know how the mechanics of memory work.
3: Well, I love to tell people about this. I was in graduate school, and we were studying the research in cognitive psych by Atkinson and Schifrin, who were you know, researchers back in the 1950s. And they put up this boxes model of memory. I had been a teacher and no one had explained this to me. And I thought students in school should all understand this. And so again, that's why it's my passion to educate people on these topics. Basically there's three phases involved. It's encoding, storage, and retrieval. It's kind of like a computer, right? You type stuff in, we take information in, Ideally, we store it in our brain, in our memory, and then we want to be able to retrieve it later when we need it. So you meet someone at a party, you learn their name, and then you see them a week later, and you want to be able to retrieve their name. So those are the three basic aspects to memory. But what's also interesting is that we can talk about it in terms of sensory memory, short-term memory, and long-term memory. And sensory memory simply means that everything in your environment is continually going to your brain through your senses, right? So everything you see, hear, smell, taste, and touch is constantly going to your brain. So if you're wearing new shoes and they pinch, your brain knows that, right? If you're chewing gum and there's a flavor to it, your brain knows that. So all these stimuli, we would call them, hit your brain constantly. We're not even aware of it, but only some of it will go into your short-term memory. And what's required for that is attention. We need to pay attention if we want to get something into our memory. Of all the things coming into your brain, what are you going to focus on? What are you going to pay attention to that you want to remember down the road? And now short-term memory is really interesting. And I'm going to ask you to participate in a little demonstration, if you don't mind,
1: Oh no,
2: um, God. <laughs> the there's going to be it. a test. Oh
3: no. <laughs>
2: oh,
1: um, Randy, you didn't tell us. I this. didn't
2: know about it either.
3: <laughs> All right. Yeah. So for the audience, they did not know this was coming, but basically <laughs> audience at home can participate as well. But the first question is how short do you think short term memory is?
0: 24 hours. I mean,
2: Gary just said 24 hours. I think that's a pretty good guess.
3: Actually, psychologists say 20 to 30 seconds. What? (laughs) Seconds? Have you ever looked up a phone number in a directory? You dial it, it's busy. And you think, okay, I'm going to try again in a minute.
2: Oh, and then you've you've. Is that number
3: still up here? Unless you've been saying it over and over, we call that rehearsal, is it still there?
1: Yeah.
3: And I like people to know that because I think because we use computers all the time, we think our brain should operate like a computer, and it doesn't.
0: Right. Right.
3: Now, the capacity of short-term memory is limited. Our brain can only hold so much information at once at one time and then it gets overloaded. So let's do an easy 7-digit phone number. I'm going to say it and then I'd like you either repeat it or write it down. Okay?
2: Okay. 7493681
1: Seven, four, nine, three, six, eight, one. Pretty easy,
3: right? Most wow. people should be able to get those seven digits. Now we're gonna try it with an area code. Here we go. Five, zero, two, eight, four, three, one, seven, nine, six.
2: Okay, no. I, got, I got it. I, I got it only because I wrote it down.
3: Oh, you wrote it while I was saying it? (laughs) Yes.
0: No, (laughs) that's cheating, Randy. Because I didn't think I was
2: going to remember it. And I didn't want to look like a doofus on the show. Most people
3: (laughs) have trouble with the 10 digits. I want people to know that, you know, if they struggled with the 10 digits, that's totally normal. Because George Miller, back in the 1950s, wrote a paper called The Magical Number 7 Plus or Minus 2. And I've actually heard that phone numbers were originally seven digits because of this research. But basically, once we get past seven, our memory gets overloaded. I want people to be aware that short-term memory is a limited capacity system. Like you go to the doctor and he tells you all these instructions. You know, if I don't write them down before I leave the room, I will forget half of them by the time I get to the parking lot because it's too much for my brain to hold on to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I just think it's important for us to realize that this is the way our brain works. And then, of course, long-term memory is the one we all care about. There are strategies that I teach when I speak, or that are in my book, some tips and strategies to help you do better at remembering.
0: That seven-digit test was really fascinating. We think, oh my goodness, we're losing it. We're not capable anymore. I can't remember a ten-digit number. It turns out I probably never could remember a ten-digit. Interesting you bring that
3: up, Gary. Because when we're young and we have these memory glitches, we say, "I'm too stressed. I'm too. Wor- I'm working too hard. I'm not going. You know, whatever. We have excuses. We don't care. We just know it's it's okay. When we're older and they happen, then we worry, right?
2: Right. Right. So, Well, Linda, in your book, Brain Sense, you talk about some of the daily habits that can improve memory and brain health. Tell us about the acronym you came up with, SENSE, S-E-N-S-E, and what that means.
3: Yes. um, For some reason, I was able to come up with this acronym SENSE, and it pretty much encapsulates a lot of the things research is telling us we should be doing to keep our brain healthy. And so the S stands for socialize. It is really important for people to interact with other people. And the other thing I wanna mention about socialization is hearing difficulties. A lot of people who are older have hearing difficulties and they don't get the hearing aids, they don't get them corrected. That's not good because it tends to make them withdraw socially. I actually have a neighbor across the street. She doesn't participate when we have group events in the neighborhood. She says, I can't hear well. So there's no point in going. And so that's not a good thing. We want to stay social. E is exercise. We know that what does exercise do for your body?
2: Well, it works it out. It makes you stronger. Yeah. Increases your oxygen
0: uptake. Blood. Blood
3: Yes, it increases blood flow, which takes oxygen and nutrients to your brain, which it needs. Mm -hmm. So exercise Mm -hmm. is very good for the brain. And it's important to maintain good blood pressure for that reason, you know, to not have hypertension. And we know that exercise does produce a result in neurogenesis, the birth of some new neurons. And usually that happens in the hippocampus, which is a memory center of the brain. So it's really important. They're saying exercise is one of the best things we can do to keep our brain healthy. And then the end is nutrition. What we eat definitely impacts how well our brain works the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet are both excellent. So that's been shown to lower your risk for Alzheimer's. And then the second S in sense stands for sleep. It has been found that we really need sleep for memory. And a lot of people do start having challenges with sleep as they get older. We know that during REM sleep, that's when we're dreaming usually. We know that during REM sleep, the brain takes information you've learned that day and stores it or consolidates it into long-term memory. And so if you're not getting adequate sleep, restorative sleep, we like to call it, it can't impact your memory in a negative way. The other thing they've discovered more recently is that while we're sleeping, our brain removes waste proteins, including beta amyloid, which is one of the things involved in Alzheimer's that are toxic to our brain cells. And so it's doing a cleanse of our brain as well. So there's so many reasons to get good sleep. Again, in my book, I can talk about some tips for that, but some basic ones are just not having caffeine too late in the day if it affects you. The power down hour, we know that a lot of our devices, cell phones and tablets, they emit blue light and that can actually interfere with the brain's production of melatonin, which helps you to fall asleep. And I was listening to one of your podcasts yesterday and I heard you talk about naps.
1: (laughs) That would, that would, that would be me. me.
3: (laughs) And isn't it great that as you know, older adults, we can just, we're retired. We can take naps when we want to. (laughs) And that's great.
1: She's now my best friend.
3: (laughs) (laughs) However, the nap should be short. You want it not have it be more than 20, 30 minutes tops and not too late in the day or guess what's going to happen
2: then you're not going to be able to fall asleep. You will sleep at night. You got it.
3: And then the E is education. Learn new mm. things. Basically, our brain loves pattern and familiarity. It likes to do what it knows how to do. But if you want to create some new neural connections in your brain, you need to force it to learn to do different things. Some people are trying to learn a new language. Some will learn to play a new musical instrument. And something all of us can do is try to do something with your non-dominant hand. So if you brush your teeth with your right hand (laughs) normally, tonight, I challenge you, put that toothbrush (laughs) in your other hand. And if it's an electric toothbrush, it may be a (laughs) bit messy at first (laughs) until you get the hang of it. But what is your brain having to do?
2: Learn something new.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. It has to figure out, okay, I'm not used to doing this. What do I do? And so forth. So that's another thing you can do. Uh, People ask me all the time, I do crossword puzzles every day. Is that good? Well, that's good for getting better at crossword puzzles. (laughs) (laughs) You need to have a variety of things. Travel is great. I think travel is wonderful. Planning travel. We did a lot of trips this year. And I'm the travel agent, you know, I'm the one who researches where we're going and what we're going to do. And I just can feel my brain, you know, working when I'm trying to do all that.
2: That's great. So even things like a a hobby, especially a new hobby, that's actually good for Mm. your brain and good for your memory. I did not realize that.
3: Mm. Yeah. Gardening, just volunteering is good. You know, you're socializing, you're probably with other people. You may be getting some exercise. You know, they they say dancing is great because you're moving while doing cognitive thinking about where am I stepping and they they haven't pinpointed any one thing, but they're saying that the point is to just constantly challenge yourself to learn new things.
0: You mentioned earlier that one thing we shouldn't do is multitasking. How does that have to do with older people in multitasking or is it just all generations in multitasking?
3: Technically, multitasking is a myth. When we study the brain, we know that when you are doing what you think is two tasks at once, your brain is constantly switching its attention back and forth Mm. between the tasks. So we think we're multitasking, but the brain knows it's going back and forth, back and forth. As we get Mm. older, that becomes more difficult for us. And so I think when we experience the most might be driving. Any of you in the Los Angeles area?
0: Well, I grew up in L.A., in the L.A. area. I'm there. I've been driving around San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah, (laughs) when you have
3: like five lanes of traffic and you're trying to keep track of all of that and there's someone in the car talking to you, you might reach a point where you say, you know what, let's talk when we get to where we're going. (laughs) Let me just concentrate on the road because it's more difficult. Or you're cooking a meal. Maybe you're trying a new recipe and you're trying to watch TV at the same time. That's probably not wise. You might lose track of, you know, did I put in the salt or the sugar?
0: So it's because we don't switch as quickly as we did when we were younger probably, between probably, these tasks.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that makes sense because I don't know about you guys, but I feel occasionally I just can't multitask like I did when I was right. 40. Oh, no. I question. mean, I was busy as an executive and I thought I could do anything all day long, I could do dozens of tasks. Today, two or three things and you start thinking, "Hmm, have I totally lost it?" Yeah.
3: The other thing I've noticed myself is our sensitivity to distractions really increases. As I said, it's it's more difficult to sustain our attention to what we're trying to focus on. I'm a speaker, and so, if, you know, I'm addressing an audience and someone's cell phone goes off. That throws me. You know, I'm more sensitive to things happening around me that throw off my concentration.
1: Let me ask you this, because you mentioned the pandemic and its effect on people. What about the brain effect of the pandemic? I know a lot of people who say they get foggy mm-hmm. or they can't concentrate the way they could before this period if they've had COVID. Any sense yes, of that? Yes,
3: there's definitely research that indicates that some people who experience COVID are left with a brain fog. It affects their cognitive processing long term, unfortunately but I don't know a lot about how to fix it.
1: Let me ask you one other thing, and that is you mentioned that the vocabulary of older people can grow, Mm -hmm. that we can increase our vocabulary, but I have found myself in situations where words that I know perfectly well in conversation I can't come up with, and then five minutes later I go, that was the word I wanted? Of course I know that word.
3: Well, that's what we call the tip of the tongue phenomenon, T-O-T, and basically, It means that you have trouble accessing, retrieving common words that you've used your whole life. I still have a vivid memory. I was 50 years old. People were over at our house, we were standing around the island talking, and I pointed to something, an object that I'd used pretty much my whole life. I could not come up with the name of it. And I thought, oh, it's a tip of the tongue. (laughs) But I know enough to know (laughs) not to worry about it. The research says we're gonna have more and more of these the older we get. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it might be due, as you mentioned, Richard, that you know five minutes later it came to you. Part of it has to do with that slower thinking that it just takes our brain longer to retrieve that word. It's in there; it's in your brain. So you do have the good vocabulary, you just can't quite access it.
2: So it brain speed as much as anything else. Processing right?
3: speed, yeah. Processing speed. with age. Mm-hmm. So
2: Richard, you know you don't run as fast as you used to run, so your brain doesn't run as fast either.
3: That's an excellent example, yes. Randy. It's so true.
0: That's measured by neuroscientists. You can actually track brain speed. You can, you can examine it under what, MRIs or something? A
3: functional MRI, right.
0: That's really fascinating because it does reassure you that your brain is still working. It's just not quite as fast as right. it used to be.
3: Yeah, and you shouldn't stress about it because stress impedes memory. The more you stress, the less chance you're going to remember the word you were trying to find.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you've Mm -hmm. certainly covered a lot here, but I'm curious if you have like a go-to brain fact that you can lay on us, something we probably don't know about our brains.
3: Well, one of the things I love to share with people is the term neuroplasticity. It's basically our brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections. Basically, I want people Mm -hmm. to know that your brain is not stagnant, that it's constantly changing structurally, physically. There's great studies of like musicians, uh, string instrument players, the people who have done that for a long time, there's parts of their brain that are physically larger than in non-musicians. And that's a result of neuroplasticity. Hmm. In other words, what you do, everything you do every day impacts your brain for better or worse. So there's things you wanna be doing and there's things you don't wanna be doing, like smoking, (laughs) not good. Uh, Too much alcohol, not good but the brain can continue to grow and develop throughout our lives. And that's why I encourage people to constantly be proactive about brain health and about improving memory. Because if you don't have cognitive impairment, there's no reason you can't maintain and improve your cognitive functions and your memory.
2: That's great information, thank you so much. Well, Dr. Linda Sasser, thank you for sharing your wisdom and improving memory and brain health. For seniors, um, that's a topic that we're all interested in. I'm sure our listeners are now inspired to take better care of their brains and work on improving their memories. Uh, Where can listeners buy your book, Brain Sense, and where can they learn more about your work?
3: Well, I have a website, brainandmemoryhealth.com, and you can even watch some video clips there of my speaking when I give some tips for memory and so forth. This is the book. Brain Sense, a guide and workbook to keep your mind and memory sharp. So the first three chapters are more content. They're explaining, for example, the differences between normal cognitive aging, mild cognitive impairment, and then Alzheimer's. There's a chapter that talks about the S-E-N-S-E, briefly explains some mm-hmm. of the research behind those lifestyle practices that we should be engaging in. And then the rest of the book is exercises. Exercises, help with oh, attention, of <laughs> processing. Short-term memory, long-term memory, and so forth.
1: Can I take that pass-fail? Yeah.
3: <laughs> and it's on Amazon. I'm sorry, just if you just put in Linda Sasser, my name, that's the only book I have on Amazon.
0: It sounds like a book we should all read, mostly to reassure ourselves that things aren't as bad as we think they are.
3: And, and the reason I want people to know this, because so much research is saying that modifiable risk factors can reduce dementia by 30 to 40%. They feel like there would be that much less dementia if people would just control hypertension, hearing loss, traumatic brain injury, alcohol and substance abuse, diabetes, smoking, depression. All those things are causes of dementia. Those can be, a lot of them can be controlled if people are willing to do what it takes, whether it's getting medication or exercise better diet stop smoking
2: that's great news it for is. all of us thank you it is. thank you yeah. and thanks yeah. so much for being our guest on Camp Codger we really enjoyed having you
3: oh you're welcome um, I appreciate being on the, the podcast and I hope people will remember that it's never too late to be proactive about brain health and improving memory thank you
2: I would like to say a big thank you to all of you campers out there who listen to Camp Codger every week. Please leave us a comment at campcodger.com and let us know what's on your mind. And we know there's a lot on your mind, thanks to Dr. Linda. (laughs) We'll see you next week here at camp.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com, post a comment at www.campcodger.com, or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171.